Today's edition of the Capital Daily Podcast is brought to you by Pacific Opera. Support local artists through their holiday auction. Visit pacificopera.ca for more details. The Capital Daily Newsletter has an exciting new look. Be sure to subscribe to see our fancy new format, which makes it easier than ever to never miss what's happening in Victoria, Vancouver Island and beyond. To subscribe, simply head to capitaldaily.ca. Hi, I'm Ben Waterworth and welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 26, 2020. Today in the podcast... In the end, we had the foundation all along to be a good team and we just needed to find a pathway that was going to take us to where we wanted to go. And in the end, we did find it and we obviously won the game. We chat with two-time Grey Cup winning BC Lions fullback Sean Millington about the iconic 2000 Grey Cup win by the Lions on the game's 20th anniversary. On this day 20 years ago, the BC Lions took one of their most famous Grey Cup wins and created history in doing so. Underdogs to Lion Kings, the BC Lions are Grey Cup champions. For the first time in the then 88-year history of the Grey Cup, a side with a sub-500 regular season record won the title, and in doing so, the Lions won their fourth Grey Cup and their first in six years. Playing the Montreal Alouettes, the game was a tense encounter, with the Lions maintaining the lead all game, but constant scoreboard pressure from the Alouettes kept things interesting. A touchdown by the Alouettes' Ben Cahoon with 44 seconds left in the game put them within two and drew them within a conversion from sending the game into OT. Askins is in! Here comes the blitz, Calvillo in the end zone, incomplete! Haskins tripped up, they're looking for a flag, there is not one on the carpet. The conversion play failed, and despite calls by Montreal for pass interference, no call was given, and the Lions held out the clock to claim a famous victory. And to talk more about that famous day on the 20th anniversary, it's a pleasure to welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast the Lions fullback from the game, as well as a player judged the most valuable Canadian player on the day, Sean Millington. Sean, thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. This is a great opportunity to relive some awesome memories, so uh, I'm all in. I'd love to get straight into the memories by taking you back to this day 20 years ago, Sean. A couple hours before the game, you've woken up, you're ready to go. What was going through the mind? What were you thinking on that day heading into the Grey Cup? You know, you know, people have asked me that, and it's never really that exciting because while the day is momentous and there's a lot going on and there's a lot at stake in order to perform, I anyway have to treat it as it's just like any other day. It's just one more game. It has no difference than anything else. I don't do anything different. I don't think about anything different. I get up, I follow my routine. I have my breakfast, you know, I go and read a little bit, I have my you know, pre-game meal, I have a nap, <laughs> right? Like I try my best not to have a response to the fact that it's the Grey Cup and it's a big deal. You had experience, of course, as well, playing in Grey Cups. You won with the Lions back in 94 too. So does that also help uh, a little bit, knowing that it's not the first time you've done this? And with that experience, can you then maybe instill that onto some of the guys who are experiencing this and maybe aren't quite as in that same mindset and are feeling, I guess, the occasion a little bit more? That is definitely a big factor in the deal. I think as 
the coaching staff tried to you know impress upon us and i think as some of the veteran players as well who've been through before tried to impress upon the rest of the team that it's really critical that you do what you always do because it is just a game and it's going to require that you do all the things that you normally did not only before the game but during the game and if you start changing up things before the game then what you normally do in a game which is make big plays and be successful has a chance of changing and if we don't want that to happen then you got to keep the routine going you got to keep the focus going you got to shut out all the noise and you know sort of revelry and make sure that you come to do the job that you came to do and remember that's why we're all here I'm sure it's something that yourself, the guys on the team, uh, analysts, uh, experts have kind of tried to look at the side all over the last 20 or so years, Sean. But to you, what was it about that Lions side in 2000 that was able to make that playoff run and get to that game? Of course, you know, famously goes down as the first sub-500 team to to win a Grey Cup. But a lot of teams had gotten to that point before and never were able to, to claim the championship. So what was it about that side that made that deep playoff run that you think got you to the game in the first place? I think it's just one of those scenarios where a number of things came together at the right time. You know, God smiled on us. We just, you know, we we brought in a new coach who had a a new philosophy. We had the nucleus of a good team. We had individual good players who hadn't meshed for a number of different reasons. And in that last run down the stretch, all of those things started to come together. So people started understanding who the other people were, uh, had a greater acceptance of the other people. So instead of fighting, you just understand, well, that's just my quirky brother. And, you know, (laughs) he does things the way he does them. And I don't need to like it. I just have to work with it. And I think as people came to that realization, now all of a sudden the team starts clicking as a team instead of a group of individuals. And in the end, we had the foundation all along to be a good team and we just needed to find you know the pathway that was going to take us to where we wanted to go and in the end we did find it and we obviously won the game how formidable were a side uh of montreal and what was the game plan going into the game to i guess get the better of them they were kind of the nemesis our nemesis i mean we'd lost to montreal so many times and they had all stars left right and center you know ben cahoon antonio cavillo like there's all these you know, big names on their side of the ball that, you know, caused a lot of headaches for us. And one of our strategies was we want to run the ball. <laughs> the longer we hold on to the ball, then obviously that means they're not doing anything with it. And running the ball is the most efficient way to burn the clock down. <laughs> so we knew we were going to get our strikes. We knew they were probably going to, you know, take a few as well. So the strategy is keep the ball out of the, their offense's hands for as long as is possible and our defense to get on the field and get off the field as efficiently as possible. And so if we can limit their time, then that gives us a pretty good shot. One thing I always love to hear from players of any sport is that impact of the crowd and how that helps you out in the field. Your, your 94 Grey Cup win was unique in the fact that you were playing an American side during the American expansion, Baltimore. So you essentially had all of Canada almost behind you guys on that day cheering you on, whereas this occasion, of course, it's sort of more of a regional spread. Did you notice a difference on that day? And does that make much of a difference as a player and as a team to kind of work from that crowd, essentially? 
I don't know, at least for myself, I don't know that I noticed the crowd as much because I wasn't really thinking that they were going to be on our side. If I, you know, in hindsight, I think they on on mass were on our side. You know, they were definitely the Montreal fans there, but I, you know, they were 30% versus the 70%, I think, who were regionally just said, okay, well, you know, our team's not in the championship, so we're going to vote for the team that's on our <laughs> side of the Rockies, so to speak. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think we did benefit a little bit from that, but I don't know that it played that big of a role. Tight affair for a large portion of the game. You led most of the day going into the sheds at the half, 12-3 up. What's said from the coach? Are you talking about that strategy, kind of running the ball, things along those lines? I mean, was it just a matter of keeping up what you guys were doing? Were you satisfied with the performance? And, and how do you kind of look going into a second half of a game that you've led essentially all game and want to obviously maintain that lead in the second half? We were actually disappointed. And the coach kind of said, okay, you know, great, great work. You know, you're up. But this score is not reflective of what you've done in the game. I mean, don't forget, I mean, I had scored a touchdown that got called back, like, <laughs> which I was really bitter about. I was like, oh, I finally scored a touchdown in the Grey Cup and I have, you know, I lose it. <laughs> but, you know, we should have been up at the very least, you know, nine, we should have scored 19 or 20 something points because we didn't take advantage of our opportunities. And that was really, you know, the coach's message is that you can't let these guys hang around because if you keep it close, they're going to close the gap and go by you. So you need to come out in the second half and fire on all cylinders and make sure that <laughs> you capitalize when you have the opportunity to do so. And I, and I think for the most part, we did. I mean, we were blessed to you know win, ultimately win the game. But Montreal obviously went into their locker room and came out saying, well... <laughs> you know, we're close. We just need to push hard and, you know, we can take these guys. <laughs> and they did. They they came at us hard and gave us a hard, a good run for it. And some things went our way. And I like to think that, you know, luck is when opportunity meets rep- preparation and we were prepared. Because I can imagine going into a situation like that where you're obviously disappointed that yourself have a touchdown not counted. Uh, you're expecting that you should have gotten more from that. And do you kind of expect the coach to say what you're already feeling or is it always a case if the coach kind of says something a little bit different to you that that kind of spurs you up a little more like how does that work as a player getting that extra motivation to go out there and do the things that you probably deep down know that you need to do to change it up but to get that extra boost from the coast essentially to really kick you out there to go and put it into play well i'm probably not the best one to talk to for something like this because i have this approach that has always worked for me. And I don't look for external motivation. Like the coach, I've almost never played for a coach who could motivate me because I'm already motivated. Like there's nothing you can tell me that's going to make me work any harder. I'm already giving everything that I have. I already laid it out all in the field. I already came on, you know, did a hundred percent of all my energy. Like I know what it takes to win a game. I know what I need to do in order to perform at my best and I do it. (laughs) So I'm not looking for, you know, the coach to walk in and give me the, you know, win one for the Gipper speech. I mean, it's great (laughs) and emotional, you know, little, you know, meal or whatever, but at the end of the, you know, the half, I put that out of my mind and go do what I do because that's what makes me successful. Third 
period. No score. Montreal gets seven. But uh, into the fourth and 55 seconds in, Robert Drummond gets a TD. You guys lead 19-10. How, how's the mind feeling at that point after, no doubt, the third period where things didn't quite go your way and all of a sudden now you, you've gotten that TD to extend the lead? And see, I'm going to, I'm going to correct you for a second here. <laughs> you, you say third period. But technically, it's the third quarter. Okay. Just so you. I'm getting that mindset, aren't I? I'm getting that uh, <laughs> that that hockey mindset still in the head. Exactly. <laughs> You're gonna have all your fans, you know, writing in and you know, <laughs> blasting you on online. He doesn't even know the game. Uh, I'm used to it. It's all good. It's fine. You know, just uh, yeah, they'll, they'll come anyway. It's all good, Sean. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah, you know, 19 points. You know, we're up nine points. Like that's you're not feeling great to be perfectly honest because you're not far enough ahead that you can kind of take your foot off the, off the gas like bang bang that turns around literally inside of a minute of you know, I've been up two full scores 14 points with less than two minutes to go in a game and lost <laughs> so. You know, at, at that point, I know some of the guys are trying to, like, think about celebrating. And, you know, the rest of us who've been around longer go, uh, no, no, there's nobody celebrating. There's no, you know, thinking that we've got this. Everybody better keep their freaking heads screwed on straight and do what you got to do because this very easily could go back the other way. And now we're going to be freaking scrambling. And it did. <laughs> So it's a good thing everybody did keep focused. Otherwise, we might be having a different conversation. Well, you're absolutely right because 44 seconds left, they draw within two and they've got an opportunity to, to tie it up and, and send it into OT. So I can imagine that the whole mind in that period and getting to that point as well is just a real roller coaster ride. What's it like watching someone about to convert a, a, a touchdown to then send it into OT? And like, what are you just already thinking ahead to OT at that point, assuming it's going to go through? Kind of how are you feeling at that moment? Yeah, for me, I process that as I always hope for the best and prepare for the worst. So to me, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to hit this. Okay, and then this is what we got to do. And I got to get ready. And this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, like that's my mindset. Like, I'm doing my best to level out the emotional roller coaster that you just referred to, because if I go for the ride on the emotional roller coaster, it distracts me from my game and doesn't allow me to do what I need to do. So in that moment, I'm just thinking, okay, yeah, he's going to make it. It's, we're going to go into OT and we're going to have to scrap. Like, that sucks, but that's about as much as I'll allow myself to say about it at the time. Because I don't want to get down and think, oh, you know, we're, you know, we have to fight. And I don't know if we're going to do it. You know, like it's just a bad mindset. I just want to come in here, focus and finish. And if finishing means that we finish in overtime, then so be it. And I can imagine going back to what you're saying about that positive mindset, how that's sort of how you work. You don't really need somebody to motivate you to get in that mindset. Do you then use that energy to look at your teammates who are maybe somebody who needs a bit of motivation? So in the lead up to that kick after that TD, you kind of, you know, just give someone a bit of a a, a nod or give them a bit of a slap on the bum or something like that to kind of, you know, keep their mind in the game and not dwell too much on what is happening in front of them. No, I not I don't honestly like uh, to me I, the approach that I took has been to assume everybody's a professional to know what they need to do in order to get themselves where they need to to get to 
And the, you know, the, if somebody's explicitly demonstrating that they're in a real hard place or something, then yeah, obviously you need to say something to them. But for the most part, you know, guys leave other guys alone to sort through their stuff, however they feel the need to sort through it. And it's their responsibility to figure it out and, and get it done, however that's going to look like. So it's, you know, my job to, you know, keep my spirits up and to do what I need to do. And every so often, yeah, there's a particular circumstance, or let's say he does hit, the, you know, the field goal and, you know, converts it. It's like, okay, no, no big deal, guys. Let's go. Come on, come on. Everybody, let's get back out there. We got to get this done. Like, that's nothing. We knew this was going to happen anyway. Let's go. Like, you might have that, you know, brief bit of a, you know, pep talk if you kind of see the energy of the team lull for a minute. And, you know, the leaders will say that, you know, Drummond would say that, or Damon might say that, I might say that, you know, there's a few guys who, you know, the team would respect when they are going to voice those sorts of opinions. But again, for the most part, you leave it up to individual guys to, to manage themselves. Of course, the shot wasn't converted. Anthony Cavillo famously misses it. Uh, first question for you, Sean. Uh, was there pass interference? <laughs> <laughs> There is definitively no pass interference. <laughs> it is definitely a hundred percent clean play. I don't even know what anybody's talking about. <laughs> All right, we'll clear that one up. I'm glad we cleared that one up. Second question. I mean, was that was that the moment though that you thought you had won? It's still 44 seconds left to go, of course. But do you at that point think, okay, this is ours now? Yeah, yeah that's the point where you start to let yourself think, okay, barring some sort of ridiculous low percentage thing happening. Uh, we should be in the driver's seat. And you start to let yourself feel a little happy about the situation. When when they didn't make that play happen, I was just like, like your heart is in your throat the minute before, and the second that that ball hit the turf, you're like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Celebrations begin. Which, I mean, it must be the most uh, amazing moment that you can have in, in your career. You'd experience it once, of course, beforehand. Here's another. You're never going to say no to how many great cups you can win. But what, can you ever put the words, put it into words, I should say, uh, the, the emotions when that final whistle goes and you realise that you're a great cup champion? You know, it's a weird experience at least for me it was their way to experience because i'd invested so much energy into staying level and not kind of investing in the stakes and the emotion of it that when it's over it's more like a relief <laughs> it's just it's over okay and it's it's one thing like if you really really wanted something you've been hoping and wishing and you know, praying and, you know, like you've, you've invested all your emotional energy into it, then when it comes true, then you get the payoff on the other side of it. But, you know, for me, the, you know, the flip side of that is if it doesn't work out, then you also get the, the freaking depression and, you know, hit the, the, you know, the skids. And I don't like that. So I've always tried to kind of have a more even keeled approach to things, which has served me well, in my opinion. So at the end of a Grey Cup, you know, it, I'm not like ecstatic. I'm happy. I'm you know relieved. Feel good about it. But it's probably not until you know days later where it kind of starts to seep in that yeah we won. Like it's done. Like the season's over. That's the last game. Nobody's playing any more games. Like we went out on top as the number one team in the league. Like it's pretty cool. And I start to really savor it over time. Like at the time, like even. In that particular game, you know, I'm the most outstanding Canadian. So 
literally the whistle blows. I'm trying to walk off this field and the media mobs me, you know, grabs me and hauls me into the back room and I don't come out for another 20 minutes. (laughs) So it just like there's, you miss, uh, at least I missed a bunch of it because I had responsibilities to to manage and interviews to do and, you know, all this sort of stuff. You know, some other guys who just got to go straight to the locker room, pop the champagne and be blasting it around and, you know, drinking like, you know, I didn't get to part, start doing that until later. So it, it just changes the dynamic a little bit. And it's even, I guess, uh, stomaching the fact that you are the, the best Canadian on the field that day, you know, getting interviewed a lot, as you were saying there, and kind of not being able to soak that up. So is that something too that in those subsequent days that all of a sudden you're celebrating with your teammates and you just kind of take a quite reflective moment to the personal achievement that you had on that day? Yeah, exactly. Like you, you can never feel great about things that happen personally if the corporate goals aren't achieved. So when the corporate goals are achieved, that was the primary thing. And then after that, you get to kind of think about the secondary things, which is, okay, well, my personal goals also got achieved. And, you know, I felt pretty good about that. Like I, you know, I've always felt over the course of my career that I was trying to validate myself and never felt that I got, you know, quote unquote, the same opportunities as maybe some other people. And that's just the way life goes. It's fine. But to have a day where I can stand up and go, ha, you know, for all the doubters and people who said, you know, I would never make it into the league and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, how you like me now, so to speak. (laughs) Which is well that journey with the Lions, because that was your first season back with the team after a couple of years uh, not playing with them as well. So to kind of come back, have that connection there, and you have your best season basically ever at that point as well. So does that kind of solidify yourself in terms of how you feel about your connection to the Lions, given that sort of your the majority of your success you've had in your career came with the franchise? Yeah, it was, you know, it was an interesting season, you know, for me. And it was a lot of validation because there were, following the 97 season, 98, 99, you know, there questions were swirling. People are beginning to wonder, you know, is he over the hill? You know, can he still do it? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we brought in Robert Drummond, who was really going to be, you know, the focus he was supposed to be, you know, the franchise back and, you know, how it ended up working out is obviously we split time and that was a great thing for both of us. But to me, to be able to stand kind of tall at the end of it all and say, look, no, I not only am I still a contributing member of this team and am an integral (laughs) member of the team and I have the hardware to prove it. So, (laughs) You know, what more can be said than to be the best player, you know, the best Canadian player in the league and on the field? Like, that's the end of the, that's the, end of the story there. In terms of the current celebrations that have been happening right now for the 20th anniversary, the Lions, of course, have been doing quite a few things in the last week or so to celebrate the occasion as well as get the fans engaged given the difficulties this year has brought with uh, no CFL season, no Grey Cup. I mean, what's it been like catching up with some of these guys? I'm sure you've probably kept in touch with them a lot, Sean, over the years, but some of them you might not have talked to in a while and kind of reliving these memories. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We did a, a little thing with the Lions, I don't know, last week, I think they put, they put it up, or maybe it was, yeah, earlier this, maybe it was yesterday. I can't remember. Anyway, the point is that, yeah, talking with those guys was a lot of fun. I hadn't seen 
Carl Kidd uh, pretty well, I think, since then. <laughs> and, you know, I don't talk to Damon, so it was good to see him online. And, you know, Drummond was on as well. And, you know, I see Louis from time to time and Jamie I, I talk to from time to time. But it was good just to have all the guys on and kind of reminisce about that particular situation and what the team was like. And guys always bring things up that you've forgotten about. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that was really cool, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> You know, it just makes you appreciate, again, just the unique nature of what we've all experienced. I have to ask a question, Sean, just for – this is really for personal reasons. I'll be completely honest with you. What's more of a achievement for you, being a two-time Grey Cup champion, a BC Sports Hall of Famer, or playing the role of a Luther guard in Smallville? <laughs> that's funny uh it, i gotta say being on smallville was pretty cool because i got to bring my daughter to set right and you know at the time she was a a big fan of tom and you know just was beside herself that she was you know in the same area as him and she never, we never actually got to meet him but you, you, know, you breathe his air like that's enough yeah, exactly <laughs> you think, you're being facetious but that was literally <laughs> The expression so you know that was a lot of fun you know but honest you know on a serious note yeah being a two-time Grey Cup champion is something that you you kind of never outlive like you never forget about it it's always going to be part of the fabric of my life you know as I weave this tapestry that is called my life they will you know obviously have a significant you know square footage on the whole thing and it influences everything else after that moving forward. So it's hard to kind of give it too much weight, but at the same point, it's behind me. It's behind me. So I'm moving forward, the bigger and better things, and I will always cherish those memories and the time that I spent with those guys. I just want to keep it in proper perspective. Sean, before I let you go, I always love to give our guests an opportunity to, to let our listeners know what they're up to now. Got any exciting acting projects coming up or anywhere that people can maybe follow you on social media that they can keep up to date with what you're, you're up to now? Yeah, um, I have a Diesel Fitness uh, Instagram that I post daily or you know semi-daily workouts and little exercises and tips and stuff if anybody wants to get some help with that. I'm hundred percent and I've done a whole pile of auditions, but I haven't actually booked anything. So I don't know when the next time I'll be on screen as far as an acting gig goes is, but you can always see me. I'm out there. My stuff is on the, it's online. I have a website too. So you guys can check that out. Plug it, Sean. What's the website? Where can they go? (laughs) Diesel.fitness, www.diesel.fitness. Everybody gets confused because they think it's, you know, .fitness.com, but it's (laughs) no, it's .fitness. Easy. All right. Well, we'll uh, plug that alongside of our socials as well. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to chat with you today. I'm glad that you pulled me up on that period thing. I will be sure to use that (laughs) moving forward. And it's been a lot of fun reliving the memories with you on the 2000 Grey Cup on the Capital Daily Podcast today. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate being on. I just didn't want to see you getting flamed online. No, I need you to fix that. You need to have, exactly. You got to have my back, fix these up because uh, Canadians are the nicest people in the world, except when it comes to getting their sports wrong. And I'm learning that slowly. So I'll I'll make sure (laughs) to keep track on that. (laughs) All right. Coming up, all the day's news, plus your favorite weekly segment, a day early once again, next. 
Pacific Opera Victoria's Holiday Auction aims to support artists and opera in the local community. With over 100 items and experiences available to bid on, from staycations and dining to holiday treats and florals, themed gift baskets and a selection of curated art and specialty items, there's something unique for everyone. It's a perfect way to pamper yourself or complete your holiday shopping from the comfort of home while supporting your opera artist community. To find out more, visit pacificopera.ca and click on the holiday auction link on the homepage. Today's news now, and the BC government has strengthened restrictions in the province after COVID cases continue to surge. Effective immediately, a $230 fine can be given by police and other officials to a person not wearing a mask indoors or becoming belligerent when asked to wear a mask or leave. Exemptions will be given to children under 12 and people who have certain conditions or are performing certain activities such as consuming food and drink, proving their identity and more. Dr. Bonnie Henry had long opposed penalising masklessness, citing evidence of unfair enforcement in other regions and saying that many high-spread situations, such as private gatherings, wouldn't be affected. The province has also asked for a temporary suspension of indoor group fitness activities, including dance, yoga, martial arts, pilates and others. This is in addition to last week's ban on high-risk indoor exercise, such as hot yoga, spin classes and interval training. The Ministry of Health will allow the newly restricted lower risk group activities to resume once it has finished drafting new guidance for them. A record 13 COVID-19 deaths were reported in BC between noon Tuesday and noon Wednesday, with 738 new cases announced. This brings a total of deaths in November alone to 108. The new numbers currently bring the active cases in BC to 7,616, 294 of which are in hospital and 61 in intensive care. And Sayward officially has its fifth different mayor this year. The island village has elected Mark Baker by 20 votes over Joyce Ellis. Ellis had very briefly been the acting mayor in March after longtime leader John McDonald stepped down. Her own resignation within a week then led to two other councillors becoming mayor temporarily during the pandemic period. Before we go today, it's once again time for your favourite weekly segment, Fun Fact Friday. Once again, brought to you a day early to help you feel like you can have two Fridays for once. This week, the segment is brought to you by Rabbits. And given I couldn't find a rabbit sound effect, I thought a bouncy spring would suffice. Did you know that rabbits can't vomit? Yes, it's apparently true. Unlike cats or other animals that can cough up hairballs when they digest too much fur and other indigestible materials, rabbits are incapable of spewing. Their digestive system only goes one way, so the furry critters swallow plenty of roughage, which keeps things moving in the right direction. I swear these facts are always animal-based, which is because, let's be honest, animal-based facts are generally awesome. And that is a fact that I actually had never heard before. I didn't even know that one. And it's an odd one, incredibly odd. And it always makes me think of the scientists who discover that and I guess had to study to find out how true it is. I can only imagine just how many ways you can try and make an animal, particularly a rabbit, vomit only to maybe eventually give up and realise it can't be something that can be done. Although I I reckon if I found out that I was wrong about the theory that rabbits couldn't vomit, I'd be positively spewing. 
And that's it today for the Capital Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 26, 2020. Tune in tomorrow as we catch up with Sean Hall, one half of the Blues duo, the Harpoonist and the Axe Murderer, about the exciting new supergroup he has just formed and why he's found a new home right here on Vancouver Island. That's tomorrow on the Capital Daily Podcast. My name is Ben Waterworth, and as I say in Australia, hey, True Blue, thanks for tuning in, and I will speak to you tomorrow. Today's edition of the Capital Daily Podcast is brought to you by Pacific Opera. Support local artists through their holiday auction. Visit pacificopera.ca for more details. The Capital Daily Newsletter has an exciting new look. Be sure to subscribe to see our fancy new format, which makes it easier than ever to never miss what's happening in Victoria, Vancouver Island and beyond. To subscribe, simply head to capitaldaily.ca.